0: Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Justin Barra and joining me today is Brian. Hello. Today we're going to talk about the Spanish-American War, which is just a strange little imperialistic conflict between the Spanish and the Americans. (laughs) So... Um, Cuba's close location in the United States and its strategic location in the Caribbean had long made it an interest of American expansionists. Just like how we've talked in previous episodes, how there was always this obsession with making Canada a U.S. state, there was always this obsession about making Cuba an American state. Um, As Cubans started to rebel against Spain, more Americans felt like America should do something to help the Cubans. Um, And this was aided by the actions of a guy whose name was Valeriano, whaler his nickname was the butcher Um, and he is basically creating like concentration camps in cuba Um, anyone that he thinks is part of this uprising he's pretty much throwing in these camps Um, u.s public gets wind of this through the media and then this is the era of yellow journalism where they're going to take something and then they're going to over exaggerate it to try to make like sell more newspapers and then by doing this the U.S. really wants the government to intervene and do something. That sounds a lot like today's. Yes, yes. Media that is just overblowing everything. Yep. Uh, There is going to be one event, though, that is really going to almost force the hand of the government to do something. The USS Maine. That is the sinking of the USS Maine on February 15th, 1898. So the Maine was a gunship. Um, It had been sent to Havana to basically protect U.S. interests, and if full-out war broke out in Cuba, they get Americans out of Cuba. Um, It explodes one night, mysteriously, killing 260 sailors on board. Of course, all the blame is going to be put on the Spaniards for blowing it up. Congress is going to declare war on April 25th, basically with the rally cry, Remember the Maine." In actuality, what happened is the model of ship that the main had had really big time issues with their boilers, and they often exploded. And that's what happened. The boiler, just too much pressure on it, exploded, blew up the ship. So the Spaniards really had nothing to do with it at all. And now if you go to um, Arlington National Cemetery, they have all the men that died on the main are buried together underneath the mast of the ship. Isn't so, the
1: main, like, technically the longest ship mast to mast because one of them is in Arlington and then the other, I think, is in Annapolis?
0: Really? I've never yeah. heard that. Well, that's a cool fact. So the Navy, when the war breaks out, is going to be in a far better situation to fight than the Army at the beginning of the war. And this is primarily because the U.S. government, ever since the, from pretty much the American Revolution up past World War II, the U.S. government never wanted a long-standing army. It was always a belief that a dictator will use the army, or a president will use the army to become a dictator. So we don't want one of these. We will have a strong navy, though, because as we're getting more involved with international trade, we're building. A, we're we're built. We built this navy to protect basically the shipping routes overseas and things like that. Uh, army is then going to be faced with a legal challenge as if the National Guard could fight overseas. So at this point, we had instituted the program of the National Guard, but. Just like militia of before, militiamen never would go. Militiamen would never like go across borders because they said we're not here to. We're here to protect our land, not go attack other people. That didn't work so well no. in eighteen twelve. No, like, no, yes, there was several times where the army was going into Canada and the militia was like, "Nah." I feel like they should have learned at that point. You but... would think, yes, but we had a long-standing history of not learning from things. Yeah. Um, So as the war started, there were over only 26,000 regulars in the U.S. Army. By the end, that's going to increase to 59,000 with another 216,000 volunteers. Most troops were highly ill-trained. They had very little basic training, and they basically were taking them out to um, uh, areas to go get shipped out as fast as they could without very little training. And you also get this weird group called the Immunes. So... The the planners realized that fighting in Cuba would cause all sorts of challenges for Americans fighting, primarily with tropical diseases. So they specifically targeted people from like Louisiana and Mississippi to fight, thinking that they had a better chance of fighting those tropical diseases like yellow fever, malaria, and things like that. And they were called the Immunes. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think so either, but hey, first shot. Yeah. Due to public pressure for immediate action, most, tro- most troops be shipped out with little training and inferior equipment. Um, they're using, some people are still actually getting handed stuff from the Civil War. All right. It's bad.
1: And like, this is late 1800s?
0: 1898. Yeah. We're not ready to fight
1: this war so like, at all. At least about 40 years later. Yes. Just equipment from 40 years ago. Correct. That's. Uh,
0: that, that's not good. trust me, it's gonna get worse. Um, trip space shortages of food, clothing, medical facilities and officers and they had to eat what they called embalmed beef. It was like the precursor to spam. They said it was basically like meat and uh, formaldehyde.
1: <laughs>
0: yummy. Yay. Yes yes. I would so- love to eat some of that. Yummy. yeah. Um, and back to the using like obsolete weapon things, they were still using like the initial rendition of the Gatling gun, which looked like a coffee grinder. So I mean, yeah. Um, Early fighting would be done though on the seas. A blockade is gonna be set up with Cuba and then they create what is called a flying squadron of ships because they don't know where the Spanish are. And they're afraid that the Spanish are gonna attack the East Coast at some point. Um, So they plan to attack Spanish fleet in the Philippines and then use those islands as a bargaining chip to gain Cuba. All right, Um, if you really wanna go back to it, even prior to the civil war, the United States was trying to get Cuba. Um, If you listen to our first episodes with Dan Sickles, Dan Sickles basically was like, yes, we are going to take Cuba, even though the government never gave him permission to do that. And then he's actually gonna be involved with this stuff too. (laughs) On April 24th, George Dewey was ordered to leave Shanghai to go to Hong Kong to refuel and then head to the Philippines. He'd reached the Philippines on the 30th and there he finds a severe obsolete Spanish fleet they're basically still using old wooden sail ships for their um, Pacific fleet. Meanwhile, the United States has modern gunboats with turrets, diesel powered, all that stuff. Not the gunboats
1: gun that's like the cannon? On, no, like- these
0: are these are legit like the precursor okay. to battleships, yeah. All right. Um, their Admiral, Patricio Montoyo, saw the writing on the wall and he moves the ships to shore so when they sunk, his men would have a better chance of swimming to safety. <laughs> What so a what, great captain. Yes, so he, he he knows they're about to get defeated here, so he, what he does is he puts the ships as close to shore as possible without beaching them, and he's just going to anchor them. He's not even going to worry about sailing them back and forth. He's just going to anchor them, get all their guns pointed broadside, and just hope for the best. Dewey had to make a decision. Anchor and go ahead with the Spanish fleet, or go head-to-head with the Spanish fleet, or uses new steam powered ships to just basically move in and out of range of the Spanish fleet because his guns had superior range. So what, what does he do here? Um, the problem is even though our long range guns on these boats had a longer range, they still were highly inaccurate. I think the the success rate for hitting something was like 1%. So you had to shoot a hundred times, which is a lot for big guns and yeah, so he's got something to think about. So with this flagship, the Olympia, Dewey is going to win a decisive battle where the only US death was caused by heat stroke. It's hot in the Philippines. I mean, yeah. I guess they didn't think and about that. And very humid. It is very humid. Yeah. Um, if you want to go see the Olympia, it is in Philadelphia currently. It's a, it's a museum ship. Um, what he chooses to do is go the in and out and, and it works. So Dewey would then continue to neutralize the shore batteries of Manila. Lacking, though, manpower to invade, he just blockaded Manila Bay. Filipinos would then rise up and begin to rebel against the Spanish. Um, At this point, though, England, Japan, France, and Germany, who had already begun carving up the Pacific and East Asia, began to send in ships and troops to try to replace the Spanish as the Imperial ruler. Dewey is going to bring in an exiled Filipino revolutionary, Whose name is Emilio Aguinaldo to rally for Filipino support. Um, and by the time American troops arrived to prevent foreign intervention, the Filipinos had pretty much taken over most of the islands except for Manila. So we so the they they they've done most of the dirty work for the US. But the Spanish are unwilling to surrender to the Filipinos. That is because they think it would be a great dishonor if they surrendered to a local population and not an imperial power. So like just let the U
1: S invade so that they can have an honorable defeat or
0: yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Oh really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. The U S wanted to avoid a Filipino victory because the U S wants to put in some claims for themselves. Um, not knowing that the war ended the day before both sides are going to perform what is called the fake battle of Manila. All right. This would allow the Spanish to save face and surrender with honor and for the U S to be able to take control of the city. Only casualties came when Filipino revolutionaries thinking it was a real attack killed 49 Spaniards. So what happened is they, they had this all completely planned out. Like they, they discussed this prior and it was like theatrics. They're like, all right, at eight o'clock, we are going to fire a couple of artillery rounds. You guys are going to yell and fire some guns up in the air. We're going to run at you, and then you're going to surrender. Like, they had this all completely planned out. It's, it's literally like theater. Um, U.S. troops would prevent Filipino troops from entering the city, which would cause tensions between the U.S. and Filipino forces. And this is eventually going to lead to another war, which is called the uh, Filipino-American War. Most Americans don't know about that. Um, but the Pacific phase of the war is over. That's how quickly the Philippines happens. Wow. It's like one little, little quick naval battle. Um, So when we talk about the Spanish-American War, most people, if they know anything about it. They know about the operations in the Caribbean, primarily that in Cuba, thanks to the exploits of one Teddy Roosevelt. Um, But it doesn't go very well. Like I said, this thing is just done all piecemeal. The U.S. Army is not ready to fight it. It takes a while to get things in motion. Uh, So the plans were to move the army to Tampa Bay, and then from there launch an invasion near Havana. Problem is, was they still cannot locate the Spanish fleet. It's finally going to be discovered, though, in Santiago, Cuba. So unable to silence the fortified positions at the entrance to the harbor and unwilling to run the heavily mined harbor, the plan was to sink an old ship at the entrance and trap the Spanish fleet in the harbor by using the old sunken ship plan failed. So they had to figure out somewhere else to go. So they are going to choose to go to an area called Guantanamo instead. Um, And they're going to have really big issues actually getting people to Cuba. They said that the um, supply train was so backed up that it went continuously from Savannah to Tampa Bay. like nothing was moving they have like nine or ten cores of the army that are supposed to go to cuba only one actually makes it because everything is so backed up
1: when you say like the supply train like you there were trains lined up from wow the problem is is because that's like 400 miles
0: that's a long way yeah yeah. the problem is they picked a port that only has one pier ah bad bad planning yeah very bad bad planning Um, so the 5th Army Corps under William Shafter would be told to land there Santiago, where a beachhead was established by the Marines already. Like I said, only one of the Army Corps that was organized for the war would actually get there. Um, the 5th Corps was made up primarily of regulars, uh, but lacked supplies, which will delay their landing. Uh, conditions on the sail over were less than stellar. Men already started to succumb to many of the tropical illnesses that are going to take them out. Um... And then you have this weird story of, um, there's a former Confederate general, his name is Joseph Wheeler. Uh, He is put in charge of some things and it's to try to gain Southern support for the war, but he's like old and like fat and kind of delusional at this point in his life. Um, And he leads the advanced US guard when he would be ambushed at the battle of Las Casimas, which results in a minor Spanish victory. Um, at this point, U.S. soldiers began to adapt fighting tactics from linear formation to guerrilla tactics. Um, at one point, I believe Wheeler, he either gets yellow fever or malaria, and he's pretty much like bedridden. Um, and so he has a high fever, and I think he's starting to hallucinate and things like that. And at one point, I believe he starts screaming for somebody, though, um mount him to his horse so he could go kill some yankees oh wasn't
1: wasn't he the guy who needed like to be lifted up by a pulley to get on him maybe
0: steps? that wouldn't yeah that wouldn't shock me but yeah he, he doesn't even know what war he's fighting at at, at some points during this um so seeing his men being uh debilitated from tropical diseases and with hurricane quickly approaching Shafter knew he had to move his plan would call for a frontal attack on what were called the san juan heights to overlook santiago um First, he's going to send 6,500 men to El Caney to cut off Santiago's water supply and prevent any reinforcements from reaching the area. Uh, The attack was launched on San Juan Heights, and that's going to be launched on July 1st, and it's going to quickly fall apart. Shafter would have to give the command after falling ill from heat stroke, or give up his command after falling ill from heat stroke. All right. All right. Just as things were unraveling for the Americans, the Spanish made a desperate move, running out of resources and with orders not to surrender. The Spanish Navy would attempt to break out of Santiago Harbor. Two hours later, the Spanish Navy would uh, be destroyed, giving the U.S. ability to enter the harbor. Twenty four hundred Spanish troops would unconditionally surrender a couple days later. so also that during the Battle of Santiago and them storming up San Juan Hill, that's where Teddy Roosevelt makes a name for himself, even though he'd never charged up San Juan Hill. He went up the wrong one. It was called Kettle Hill. And then from Kettle Hill, they shoot on San Juan Hill. But yeah, he never went up San Juan Hill, but he had he he knew he had political ambitions, so he had a news, a news journalist follow him the whole way. And on his right flank, he had the Buffalo Soldiers, which were made up of was an African-American unit. But anyway, it, that's a quick battle, too. Um, so that's San Juan Hill. A couple of days later, 3,000 troops would sail from Guantanamo to Puerto Rico under the leadership of General Miles. American troops were met as liberators and were welcomed by most Puerto Ricans. Um, without much fighting, San Juan would quickly fall. On October 13, a peace protocol between uh, Spain and America had begun. Um, when it's all said and done, disease be killing more men in Cuba than battle. After an embarrassing letter leaked to the press about the horrid conditions, the army was forced to take action. They began to evacuate men to quarantine zones off of Long Island. Um, it was deemed that 75% of the men in Cuba were unfit for service due to tropical diseases. I guess the immune program didn't really work. Yes. The immunes did not work well. Yeah. Like I said, malaria is going to be the big one. Yellow fever is going to be the big one. Um, that's why now, before we send people in the tropical zones, we give them shots. Yeah. Um it though allowed the medical corps to discover the causes of yellow, yellow fever and begin programs to combat tropical diseases within the United States.
1: Yay.
0: Uh there is some really terrifying videos out of the 50s where they uh do you know so do you know what causes yellow fever? is it a mosquito yeah a... it's mosquitoes yeah. so you want to get rid of mosquitoes and you know how they got rid of mosquitoes back in like the 60s 50s 40s how they use ddt oh no which is a highly carcinogenic chemical and there was actually like propaganda videos made in like the 40s and 50s showing like dd trucks going ddt trucks like going down neighborhoods and just spraying them and like kids playing in the spray oh, it's it's really terrifying that's uh, yeah. Also killed all the eagles. Yeah. That's why we banned it. All right. So Treaty of Paris, 1898. Yet another Treaty of Paris in the long history of Treaty of Parises. Um, Spain is going to relinquish all claims of sovereignty over to Cuba and cede Puerto Rico, Guam and the Philippines to the United States. So even though Cuba gained sovereignty, you're going to get what is called the Platt Amendment. And what the Platt Amendment says, all right, Cuba, you guys can do your own thing. But if the United States feels that you are under threat, we are allowed to send in our military to, to do what we what we want to do. All right. So it's it's basically they're kind of like a US colony, but not quite. All right. But, almost a US Almost, colony. but not quite. Well, meanwhile, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines are. All right. Um The US would pay Spain twenty million dollars for those properties. As a result of the war, US would be recognized as a world power. And once again, Teddy Roosevelt is gonna gain a lot of fame with this, and this is gonna help lead him to vice presidency and then eventually presidency when I believe William McKinley is assassinated. So that is the story of the Spanish-American War.
1: Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit wwwstarsmillhistorycwiksitecom forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.